Welcome to Mariners Church Weekend Message Podcast. For more information on Mariners and ways you can get connected, head to marinerschurch.org or click the link in our show notes. Hi, Mariners Church. It's such an honour to be with you today. I know that we're in locations all over Orange County. Those of you that are watching from a couch today, I've always wanted to come to your house. So I'm so grateful to be sharing the Word with you. Now, I don't know if anyone besides me has almost like killed yourself trying to take a selfie. Now, recently I was hiking up Bishop's Pass Trail up there in the Eastern Sierras. So stunning, so beautiful. And I stopped on this ledge as we were hiking to the summit because I was obsessed. I wanted everyone to know that I was going to get to the top of this mountain. So I was obsessed with trying to get the right angle. You know, when you've got that selfie, um, you're trying to get the right angle, the right font, the right everything. And then I almost literally fell off the ledge because I was so obsessed with trying to get the right selfie. You know, I'm the worst selfie taker on earth. My my arms are short. I'm only five foot two and I can't get the angle right. I've always got to ask someone else, like, could you take my selfie photo of me? And my kids are absolutely mortified at my lack of selfie taking abilities. You know, Selfies are no doubt an obsession in our generation. There are literally millions of selfies that are uploaded every single day. As a society, as a culture, we're obsessed with posting selfies. But of course, you know, they've got to be edited just right. And we need the right light and the right filter so that we can show everyone how happy we are and how awesome our life is and how wonderful our living room is. And, you know, it's interesting. I was recently reading some studies and the reality is that the psychological impact of selfies actually leaves selfie users feeling more anxious than before they posted, less confident and even less physically attractive. Now, Posting selfies actually results in a worsened mood and a worsened body image, which is really important when it comes especially to young people. This obsession with curating this this beautiful public profile and, and placing ourselves right there in the middle of everything is actually not working for us as a society. The data shows that it does not lead to greater fulfillment or or greater peace or greater joy or greater happiness or significance or purpose. What happens is we, we might get a dopamine rush for a second as we see all those likes come in. But you know what? Then we feel like we have to come up with a better selfie than the last one in order to get that rush again. And man, if we don't get that instant feedback we're, we're craving, we, we take it down. I see it amongst my daughters and their friends all the time. It's like literally they time how long it is till the likes come in. And then it's like, I'm going to put another one up that's going to get more likes. And, you know, they've said that the selfie generation is literally the most prominent phenomena of the 21st century. I I was reading in the New Yorker, there was an entire series on why millennials especially are drawn to the selfie culture. So this obsession with trying to prove that somehow that we're awesome or we're special or we're perfect or better than we really are on social media is literally leading to mental health issues in society. Something is not working. The selfie is obviously not delivering in the 21st century. Well, today we're in week three of the Red Letter Invitation series. Now, in week one, we looked at Jesus's invitation when he said, come to me. And and last week, Pastor Eric told us about the invitation to follow Jesus 
And this week, we're going to unpack the invitation to die to self in order to find true abundant life in Christ. You know, as with most of Jesus's messages, this one is so counter-cultural. Now, it was written in the scripture way before there was the invention of a cell phone or way before the age of Instagram when millions of selfies were being uploaded every single day. So at a time in history, when we are encouraged to find ourselves, to be self-fulfilled, to become self-actualized, to protect our self-image or to boost our self-esteem, to be self-assured or to be self-confident and self-determined, I today am going to talk to us as a church about the benefits of actually dying to self. You'll be surprised at how beneficial it will be to you and to me to actually die to ourselves. So we're going to turn literally to the most important scripture on discipleship in the New Testament. If you go with me to Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 38, we're going to read the words of Jesus today. And the scripture says, And and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Okay, so we see, church, that in this passage, Jesus says that if anyone is going to follow Him, there is actually a particular way that we are to follow Him. Now, the term follow is so skewed in in modern culture, I think mostly because of social media. You and I, we follow and unfollow people with just one click and it's just all changes all the time. So as we learnt last week in in biblical times, to follow someone, to be a disciple was to be a learner. It meant a life of commitment and of dedication and of devotion. I mean, you were all in. You literally had skin in the game. It wasn't one click, follow or unfollow. So Jesus says that there are two things that you and I must do if we are truly going to follow Him. Firstly, this text says that we must deny ourselves. That's what it takes. And secondly, we must also take up our cross. So the order in this text is so important. First, we have to empty ourselves of something and that something is ourselves. And then once we've emptied ourselves of ourselves, we have to put on something else and that's the cross. So we cannot carry both the cross and the self. In fact, in the original Greek, these steps are stated in the, in the present continuous tense. That means you've got to keep on denying yourself, keep on taking up your cross, keep on following Him. This is not like a, a one thing we do. We make a decision and this is done. But this is actually a program for our entire lives. We must repeat this again and again and again every single day. Now, have you heard of anything more counter- cultural in our generation than this invitation from Jesus right here. 
The, the truth is this would have been equally as challenging to these early followers of Jesus as it is to you and I. Every Jesus follower comes to a place where we have to decide to, to literally step over the threshold from being a spectator at Christian events to becoming a participator in the Christian journey. When we go from just being part of a crowd that maybe attends a Christian event to becoming a true disciple, a true follower of Jesus. Now, the fact is you and I, we both realise that in order to accomplish anything significant in absolutely any sphere of life, we have to exercise a degree of self-denial. You know, in the year 2000, Nick and I went to the Sydney Olympics. In case you're wondering where this awesome accent is from, this is how the Queen speaks English. This is from Sydney, Australia. Well, we had hosted the 2000 Olympics and Nick and I had the opportunity to get to go to a few events and, and we went to the 100 metre final, which is just like an amazing event. Now, what was incredible was that there were 116,000 spectators in this stunning, stunning grandstand that had been purpose-built for the Sydney Olympics. But when we looked down at the starting line for the 100-metre final, there were, there were only eight runners in the 100-metre final, 116,000 spectators and only eight participators in the final. You see, everybody could watch the race, but only those that truly paid the price, that put in the training, that changed their diet, that got up early to run, that didn't attend certain things in their life so that they could get the right rest and the right nutrition. They paid a price so that they could run in the race. Not everybody did. Lots of people could watch, but only a few actually ran in the race. Now, we know those athletes made enormous sacrifices, well, firstly, to even get to the Olympic Games, let alone to win a medal. We know they denied themselves a, a normal life because they decided that something mattered more than just living a normal life. So we expect people to deny themselves certain things when it comes to excelling in sport, perhaps in, in attaining something, when it comes to academic study, in pursuing a career or establishing a business. We know that in order to choose one thing that is most important to us, we have to not choose a whole lot of other things. We get that in life. So Jesus actually says that to follow Him, we must deny ourselves. And the question is, what does it really mean to deny myself in, in the 21st century when everyone is telling me to actualize myself? What does it mean? Now, I grew up in a, a very strict Greek Orthodox home. Greek is my first language. English is my second language. So when I hear the phrase like deny yourself, I have to admit, I, I kind of get a little bit triggered and I, I break out in hives because I immediately imagine a very particular form of asceticism. I think of the monks in Mount Athos in Greece that were held up to me as kind of the pillars of a spiritual life or, or perhaps you're thinking about Gandhi or, or maybe Mother Teresa. And we ask ourselves when we hear, deny yourself, are we supposed to give up all of our earthly possessions, disconnect from the internet, you know, not eat certain foods, don't do anything we enjoy, certainly don't wear any clothes that are in fashion and live in extreme simplicity. Basically, we ask ourselves, are we supposed to ignore this very world into which Jesus has sent us 
to go and make disciples. So I know when I use the phrase to to deny yourself, it it can be extremely confusing and guilt-inducing. And especially if we have families who would be drastically affected by this kind of self-denial. After all, we've all got bills and mortgages and maybe student loans and people would probably come after us if we got up and just moved to a commune tomorrow. So the concept of self-denial can be extremely daunting. So let me say up front, I don't believe that Jesus in this text is asking us to ever deny our humanity or our personhood when He invites us to deny ourselves. See, denying yourself is not hating yourself. It's not minimizing yourself. It's not rejecting yourself nor neglecting yourself. What we must deny when we say deny ourselves is our self-trust, our self-sufficiency and our self-will because it is by doing that that we're actually going to find the life that we so deeply long for. Jesus has got so much more for us than what our self promises to give us. What He has is far greater than anything our self will ever give us. And I think what Jesus is saying in this text is that if we're going to follow Him, we have to learn to say no to ourselves and yes to God. Now, within the context of our ordinary, everyday lives, and the choices that we make every day within the sphere of influence that God has placed us. So this command, this invitation appeals and applies to us in every sphere of life, wherever we find ourselves right now. So when it comes to what we do with our time, will we say no to self and yes to God? When it comes maybe to what we do with our talent, will we say no to self and yes to God? When it comes to what we will do with our resources, will we say no to self and yes to God? When it comes to what we will do with our desires, are we willing to say no to self and yes to God? When it comes to how we react to things, are we going to say no to ourselves and yes to God? When it comes to how we treat other people, will we say no to self and yes to God? When it comes to making our plans for the future, will we say no to self and yes to God? And Maybe even when it comes to giving our opinions, are we willing to say no to self and yes to God? When it comes to obeying the Word of God, will we say no to self and yes to God? When it comes to helping and serving others, will we say no to self and yes to God? When it comes to our habits, will we say no to self and yes to God? When it comes to our thought life, are we willing to say no to self and yes to God? When it comes to the way I conduct our business affairs? Are we willing to say no to self and yes to God in the way that we parent our children when it comes to our health and our fitness, when it comes to any aspect of our lives? Are we willing to say no to self and yes to God? That's the context of are we willing to deny ourselves in our seemingly ordinary lives? Are we willing to obey Jesus and live our lives His way and not our own way? Are we willing to sacrifice What's good for us right now to do what's good for all people? Are we willing to prioritise other people above ourselves? Are we willing to deny ourselves some short-term gratification in order to honour God? Are we willing to offer love instead of hate? Are we willing to give forgiveness instead of judgment? Are we willing to choose generosity over greed? Are we willing to choose peace over chaos or kindness over revenge? Or are we willing to treat our material and financial resources as gifts 
to be shared rather than possessions to be hoarded? Are we willing to give our time to serve others rather than ourselves? Are we willing to see every single human being as a fellow image bearer and honour them as such? Are we willing to live our lives for the glory of God and not ourselves? Are we willing to fight against injustice and not turn a blind eye? See, this is not a one-time big heroic act that Jesus is inviting us to deny ourselves. It's, it's in a thousand small ways each and every day. I know in my, my own life, sometimes I find it easier to deny myself so that I can help to rescue the victims of human trafficking through our work with A21. I find that it's, it's noble, it's heroic. Sometimes that's easier than being patient with my husband and the kids. See, a lot of us, I think we, we think deny ourselves if it's heroic, if it's large, I can do it. And Jesus invites us every day in our seemingly normal, insignificant life and says, are you willing to deny yourself in the midst of that? It's often a lot harder, yet that's his invitation to us. The truth is we won't consistently choose to deny ourselves if we do not truly believe that what God has for us and has given to us is not more satisfying and fulfilling than what we can get and do for ourselves. I want to remind us all today, church, that Jesus Christ came to give us life and life more abundant, according to John 10.10. The Bible teaches us that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In, in James chapter 1, verse 17, in Psalm 84, 11, the psalmist reminds us that no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So many times we think we're going to find joy or peace or hope or value or significance or security or fulfillment by doing what we want, when we want, however we want, wherever we want. But our deepest longings will only ever be met in Jesus Scripture tells us in Psalm 16, 11, in Him is the fullness of joy. Ephesians 2, 14 tells us that He Himself is our peace. He loves and accepts us in a way that no other person ever can or ever will. You see, denying ourselves is not so much about restricting us, but it's more about protecting us from following a path that does not lead to abundant life. True hope, true significance, True security, true purpose, true flourishing, true peace and true joy come from Jesus Christ alone. You know, in this text, we we read right there in verse 35, Scripture says to us that for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. In this verse, Jesus is giving us the because of choosing to deny ourselves. He knows that deep down, we all have a hunger for for true life and a desire to find and live life to the full extent that we were created to have it. It's normal and reasonable to want it. And Jesus acknowledges this by giving us the key to actually finding what it is we so earnestly desire in our lives. We, We find our life not by trying to take a hold of it ourselves, or by trusting ourselves or or taking care of ourselves, but by trusting, depending on and obeying God. You see, if you and I lose our lives by means of giving ourselves away in the cause of Christ, denying ourselves for Him, we will find the contentment and the satisfaction and the inner peace and the purpose that we're actually looking for. 
None of us wants to lose our soul chasing after things that are never, ever going to satisfy. Jesus gives us the key to saving our soul. And that is to deny ourselves and to take up our cross. Okay, take up your cross, Jesus said. This is another phrase that we don't hear very often in the 21st century. You know, this phrase, take up your cross, it's so interesting because the people listening to these words of Jesus, they knew that the cross, the cross was how the Romans executed criminals in those times. It was a horrific symbol of pain, shame and death. A person hung on it was naked until their skeletal structure basically collapsed and then they suffocated to death without air and basically their body would drown itself in in their own fluids. Of course, it was on a cross that Jesus Christ himself was crucified and he endured opposition and shame and suffering and death. You know, Jesus is not mincing words in this text. He says, it will cost you to follow me. Have you noticed how the world in which we live is becoming increasingly hostile to people who profess to have faith in Jesus? I mean, I grew up in Sydney, Australia. Australia is a very secular nation. So there was not really any kind of Christian subculture to, to protect you from secularism. It's just you, you just grew up in that. That was the air that you breathe. But here in America, I'm aware there's been a, a strong Judeo-Christian ethic that has just been underlying so much of society, so much. But that's been rapidly deteriorating. And I think we'd all agree that we're now in what, what is defined a, a post-Christian society. Have you noticed that it's not really cool to be a Christian anymore? And so many of the prevailing values that we're surrounded by in society are actually antithetical to biblical truth. Often Jesus followers are depicted as maybe narrow or bigoted or judgmental or self-righteous or backward or at the very least deluded. So this text, it actually speaks to us in the midst of the world in which we live. Jesus in verse 38 He says, for whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You see, church, it takes courage to be a Jesus follower in these days. Taking up our cross means being willing like Jesus to face opposition and shame and and maybe suffering for the cause of the gospel. This was something that, I know most of us in the West, we thought this is what missionaries do somewhere overseas. But Jesus brings this text right here on our doorstep in America in the 21st century. You know, I remember having the privilege once to speak to 500 leaders of the underground church, uh, the underground Chinese church. It was a stunning experience. They had invited me over to speak about leadership and before I went up to speak, I met with some of them and they said, Christine, we really would like you to help us Uh, reach the next generation and teach us some leadership principles because we never learned any leadership principles in the underground church in China. The only thing we were ever taught was how to preach to the prison guard on the way to our execution. I couldn't believe they said that to me. I, I just went, I had to ask them to repeat it through the translator, that the thing that you did was preach to your prison guard on the way to them taking you to the execution, I remember just stopping going, I don't quite know what I'm here to teach you, but whatever it is that you've got, I I think I need to learn from you. There's something about faith that you know that I don't even know. There's something about following Christ 
that you know that I don't know. You know, church, it's estimated that 260 million Christians across the globe still face persecution today. In fact, it's a very real thing and it impacts very, very real people. The Centre for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary has estimated that 100,000 Christians die annually for their faith. So you and I, here we are in Orange County, we, we may not face the prospect of literal death for our faith, but I wonder what it might look like for us to take up our cross daily in our particular context. Would we still follow Jesus if it meant losing our closest friends? Would we still follow Jesus if it meant alienation from our families? Would we still follow Jesus if it meant the loss of our reputation? Would we still follow Jesus if we lost the approval of people that we admire at work, at school, in our community? Would we still follow Jesus if it meant being misunderstood? Would we still follow Jesus if the people that we cared about turned away from Him? Would we still follow Jesus if it meant potentially losing our job? Would we still follow Jesus if it did mean losing our life? You see, in verses 36 and 37, Jesus actually says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Jesus doesn't give us an answer to that question because it's obviously a rhetorical question. It's assumed we know the answer. There is no profit to be made by owning the whole world because it can't save your soul. Only Jesus Christ can do that. So the bottom line is, do we believe that Jesus Christ is worthy enough for us to deny ourselves, to take up our crosses and to follow Him? Are we willing to be opposed or to be shamed or to suffer or die for our allegiance to King Jesus? Is Jesus more precious to us than approval or honour, comfort or life? Do we believe that Jesus is worthy? I love it in the book of Acts chapter 20, verse 24, Paul says, but I do not account my life of any value, not as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You know, Paul states that the single most precious thing to him is to complete his assignment. He says that from an eternal perspective, his life on this earth is of comparatively no value. Jesus Christ did not come from heaven to earth and die on a cross and rise again from the dead to make our lives safe, comfortable, convenient or easy, but He came to make us dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. Paul says, I've got to do my assignment and expand the kingdom. He goes on to say in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. The Apostle Paul discovered that the key to finding life is to die to self because Jesus alone is worthy of our all. And when we die to self, that's when we truly find life. Jesus Christ calls us to an all in life. And church, you can't be all in if you keep some out. To truly follow Jesus, we must cut off all the other options in our life. 
We must deny ourselves, take up our cross. That's the key to abundant life. To find our life, we must lose it. We can't just spectate at Christian events. We must have skin in the game. Jesus gives us no other option. That's what this text says. We have to have skin in the game. You know, we see throughout all of Scripture, church, that to follow Jesus is an all-in affair. You know, when we read through the Hebrews chapter 11, cloud of witnesses, every one of them died in faith. They had skin in the game and they died brutal deaths. John the Baptist obviously had skin in the game. He, he lost his head for following Jesus. The Apostle Paul had skin in the game because he too lost his head for following Jesus. Stephen had skin in the game. He was, he was stoned to death for following Jesus. And we know that the apostles clearly had skin in the game because apart from Judas and James, the son of Zebedee, the legend has it that Peter was crucified upside down for following Jesus. Andrew was crucified for being a follower of Jesus. Matthew and Thomas were stabbed to death with swords and James was stoned and clubbed to death. Matthias and, and Andrew were burnt to death. John died of old age after being cast into boiling oil in Rome. And of course, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, He Himself had skin in the game. He went to the cross and He gave His all for you and I. And then on the third day, He rose again. And Scripture says that the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives on the inside of you and me. Therefore, we can do all things. Through Christ Jesus who strengthens us, church, we can choose to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow Him because it is in doing that that we will find true peace, true joy, true life. The abundant life that we so desperately seek is found when we lay down our own lives and we pick up the life that we have in Christ. It's in dying that we truly live. Seems so fitting to remember Jesus Christ in this moment as we've talked about the cost of discipleship, the invitation to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to follow Him. Jesus invites us into that life because He laid down His life for us. And just while we're in this moment of remembering Jesus and the sacrifice that He made for you and I, let's enter into worship together as we focus on Jesus. All right, extend your hands, please, and let me pray a prayer of blessing over you as we go. Jesus, I pray you'd bless your sons and daughters this week, that you would remind them that you are gentle and approachable and that you love them. Cause your face to shine on them. I pray they will experience your mercy and your joy this new week. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace. Have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to the Mariner's Weekend Message Podcast. To support the ministry of Mariner's Church, you can head to the website by clicking the link in our show notes or text MYMARINERS to 77977. If you'd like more biblical encouragement from Mariner's Church throughout the week, We also have the Gospel Everyday Podcast. Every episode is a seven to 10 minute reflection 
from our 2021 annual read, A Mariner's Tradition, and it's based in the book of Proverbs. We're reading Timothy and Kathy Keller's devotional, God's Wisdom for Navigating Life. And why are we doing this? Well, God wants us to benefit from his wisdom and avoid foolish thinking and living. Instead of binging on social media or your favorite streaming service, imagine feeding your heart, mind, and soul with the kind of practical wisdom that God will use to change your life. Hey, let's get wise together. Join us and head over right now and download the Gospel Everyday Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. Have a great week, and may you live by God's grace every day.